This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. My pronouns are she and her. I'm zooming in from Grayton Rancheria land, otherwise known these days as uh, Monterio or Guerneville area. And um, <clears throat> thanks to uh, Sangha member for, for the access to this place. And uh, just to clarify, because it sounded a little odd to me, and I don't think that was the intention, but um, my mission of access to Zen is to break down barriers to Zen, not necessarily, it sounded a little bit like we're, we're for the barriers, but no, uh, the Dharma gates are open to everyone. All right. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about how we could practice together in difficult times, because um, for many of us, it's still difficult times. I think with the rise of COVID again, and just the shifts and transition, I think it's a hard time. And of course, with everything that's going on in our country and in the world, the wars and the um, cultural wars also, and the uh, political wars that we're having, um, or conflicts, if you want to go all the way to war. So there's still, I think, a lot of suffering in, in the world. Um, and so I always think it's my job to provide some kind of encouragement. So I know that um, for many of us, myself included, um, I just came out of retreat and I was really happy to be doing it um, because in difficult time, I'm like, I need more, you know, meditation. I need more zazen. I need to practice more. And I think it's a useful practice for sure to find more grounding. Um, and I really want to bring in that, uh, how do we balance the sense of personal practice and a sense of stability for ourselves? Um, and how can we also get that in interaction? So I wanted to talk about that today. Uh, so this is from Gil. He says, um, this is from the IMC site. Uh, he says, it can be easy to think Buddhist practice is individualistic and solitary teachings on being mindful of oneself and taking responsibility for one's actions can seem to emphasize a focus on oneself. The practice of sitting in meditation with one's eyes closed in their tradition, open in ours, uh, can also suggest that Buddhism is about separating oneself from society. And certainly an important part of practice is personal and inwardly focused. This is only a part of what Buddhist practice is about. A much more significant part of practice is interpersonal. It concerns the rich world of our relationships with other. In fact, the interpersonal teaching and practices of Buddhism create the context and the foundation for the inner personal practice such as meditation. So I think it is true that in uh, Western convert Buddhist centers, we focus much more on meditation on the mind and mental development, otherwise known as bhavana. Uh, whereas in a lot of Buddhist countries and Buddhist communities, heritage Buddhists, um, the emphasis is much more on um, actually on dana and generosity as the beginning. Uh, excuse me, dana, generosity, and sila, or virtue, or ethical conduct as the beginning of practice 
And um, we actually see it on a lot of lists that the Buddha give for ways of practicing. So the three practice for lay people or otherwise known as the three bases of merit is giving or dana, and then virtue and then mental development. Ten virtues of a ruler, giving, virtue, altruism, honesty, kindness, self-control, non-anger, non-violence, patience, uprightness. Sometimes I wonder if we uh, had a Buddhist leading the country or in the, <laughs> in, in the, the halls of powers in this country, how, how it might be different. And maybe that's just a, a, <laughs> a hope, hopeful wish on my part. Uh, to continue the list, there's 10 wholesome actions to cultivate or to purify one's karma. And again, giving virtue begins that mental cultivation. Not another way to put meditation. Humility, service, sharing merit, rejoicing in the merit of others, listening to the Dharma, teaching the Dharma, straightening out one's views. And then, of course, in the six paramitas, it's giving virtue, patience, or tolerance, diligence, contemplation, and wisdom. So, of course, in the Zen tradition, we focuses on uh, six paramitas as ways in which uh, it's really as a character development of a bodhisattva or Buddha. So, Robert Aiken, in the practice of perfection, the paramitas from a Zen Buddhist perspective, says. So again, most lists begin with dana. So generally dana is the spirit and act of generosity. This dana is intimately tied with karma, cause and effect. While it's neglect too has inevitable consequences. It is the dana paramita that the Buddhist teaching of universal harmony is put into practice. Mutual interdependence becomes mutual inter-support. I'm going to repeat that. Mutual interdependence becomes mutual inter-support. This practice that is not only Buddhist, but perennial as well. The earth itself flourishes by what Emerson calls the endless circulation of the divine charity. The very stars hold themselves on course through a mutual interchange of energy. And he goes on to say, from a personal perspective, you, you will find that it is easier and more natural than the word sacrifice implies. Because sometimes we think of dana as giving up things, right? Um, also, it is important to take care of one who gives. Otherwise, the flow dries up. Recreation, or we also put recreation, is important for the bodhisattva. Finally, is it compassion, he asks? Yes, but specific kind of compassion that arises with gratitude. The English word gratitude is related to grace. It is the enjoyment of receiving as expressed in giving. It is living, vivid mirror in which giving and receiving forms a dynamic practice of interaction. For receiving too is a practice. Look at the Japanese word arigato, Japanese for thank you. It means literally, I have difficulty. In other words, your kindness makes it hard for me to respond with equal grace. Yet the practice of gift giving lies at the heart of Japanese culture. The word arigato expresses the practice of receiving. 
Lastly, he says, Dana brightens and clarifies the Dharma, the Buddha way, and with continue unfolding, it brings natural authority for more brightening and clarifying. You see its power in those who are acknowledged as leader in traditional society, in Buddhist history. It is Tao Shua, forgive my pronunciation, relinquishing his role of master and returning to practice as a monk. In relinquishing conventional power, he found the authority of the timeless, passes it to us, and with each gift of empowerment, the strength of dana in the world is enhanced. The wheel of the Dharma turns accordingly. Gil uh, continues from the other part that I started with, um, says, though many people don't start Buddhist practice this way, traditionally it is said to begin with creating healthy relationship with others. This part of the path is usually called training and sila of virtue. Excuse me when I move, the sun is reflecting there. All right, so we begin with dana, with this mutuality as a basis of our practice, right? Not, not that it's only my power that um, makes practice happen, but how do we make practice accessible to everyone? And how do we practice together? And then what supports us to do that um, in, a, in a skillful and wise way is sila for sure, which is the precepts. So um, traditionally, Sheila is translated as ethical conduct, the precepts. Um, other translations are uh, Kamala Masters, who I just finished sitting with um, online. Uh, she's part of the Vipassana Metta Foundation in Maui. I calls it non-harmful living originally. And, and just now I realized that she has changed it to harmonious living. Okay. And I know that Blanche talked a lot about harmony. And of course, the Sangha is harmony from Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And um, I think we do talk a lot in Zen about Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And then we don't actually say a lot how to practice in Sangha. And I think that certainly Dana and, um, so, and the precepts and uh, Kalyana Mitra or spiritual friendship, which I'm going to talk about mostly today. Our, our practices of Sangha. So to go back to uh, the precepts, I'm not going to say a lot about it because I just did a whole spiel on it uh, at the end of April um, at City Center uh, when there was the Jukai and in general, um, I am calling the ethical uh, conduct section these days, I'm, I'm calling it compassionate connection to very much highlight that this is about our interaction with each other and the guidelines of the precepts supports us to uh, live in harmony and compassionately with each other. And the precepts um, as a practice is for us to um, actually protect ourselves from our, uh, our unawareness of our behavior, our habitual patterns, and how that impacts others. And so when we practice the precepts, we're actually not only protecting ourselves and how we um, interact with the world, we're also giving um, a, a message to other that we are safe people if we up, as we're upholding the precepts um, as, a, as a place of refuge for others, right? 
Um, and it's the same ideally with communities or sanghas that they can be thought of as safe places for others. And so the third way is uh, in this talk is Kalyana Mitra uh, or Kalyana Mita if in the Pali. And uh, the translation is usually of a good spiritual friend or beautiful or admirable friend. Trimpa Rinpoche calls it friends in the virtue, which I think certainly ties in with the precepts. Uh, and so it is about how do we live in community together. And that's the precept and Kalyana Mitra intertwined. So um, I'm going to talk about it and mostly in the, in the framework of, as Gil puts it, uh, which is um, that we're going to talk about it as example or how to demonstrate Buddhist teachings as um, support and encouragement, uh, including feedback, and then as uh, how do we have interaction with each other talking about the Dharma. Okay. All right. Uh, additionally, he says the idea that good friendships are the precursor for the path of practice was particularly important in the pre-literate times of the Buddha. No books that would introduce people to the teaching and practice. The introduction always came in person through a good spiritual friend. You know, I just uh, co-led a retreat at IRC with Bruni Davila, and certainly a lot of people who come to practice, um, perhaps, you know, it's true that many of us read books and stuff before, and how you actually get to uh, a practice place is often very much through another person um, talking about a place. That's why, for most of us, that's why we're interested in trying out a place. And so the sense of um, someone as an actual person uh, introducing you or being the conduit, you could say, for you to come to practice is certainly part of spiritual friendship. So again, the first is by example to demonstrate how Buddhist teaching can be practiced and expressed. Um, and for me, it actually started out um, with the Women of Color group uh, through Spirit Rock. Uh, it was Dr. Marlene Jones, who has since passed away, and uh, Dr. Margarita Loines. Uh, the Women of Color group met at the Harriet Tubman Building in Marin City Community Center, which, by the way, housed African-American shipyard workers during World War II. So, you know, and in some ways, the setting one chooses and the, um, provides a certain kind of historical access, for sure. And... Um, not, not as a self-promotion, but I will say I did just get to interview uh, Margarita Loinas um, on the Opening Dharma Access, the podcast that um, we've started. So uh, you can find that on the website, a really interesting conversation I had with her about both of us being around for the last, uh, of course, herself much longer, but in the Bay Area, um, Brutusine for since the late 90s. So that's an interesting uh, conversation if want to listen to that. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about Marlene, um, because it just has brought up in me how much gratitude I have for the people that has brought me to practice. Uh, and Marlene has passed. And so this is actually from a talk she gave at City Center uh, in uh, 2009. 
It's called savoring. And she talked about um, her practice, um, how in the nine, uh, 1970s, she started out in yoga and meditation, as in many people. Um, and, you know, she would sit, sit like three minutes, then five minutes, then 10, uh, 20. And till one day, she said that um, a still place in my spirit arose. And there was no desire to get up by that she meant to move. Right. And um, she said that at first, you know, the background in the in her in church for her um, really brought up in her that it wasn't okay. Meditation wasn't okay. And so as, as in many, for many of us, she started out with books, she sat by herself, and then she missed community, you know, like at church. And so finally, that's how she came to Sangha and to the Monday nights with Jack Cornfield. And she said that some of the difficulties she had was that at tea time afterwards, you know, people would come up to her and say, what are you doing here? I thought black people like Baptist church, right? Or dancing. And so she would sit with her back to the wall a lot. Um, and several times she would get up to leave um, until one day Jack came up to her and he never talked to her before and said, try to stick it out. Um, and then she said, and now I teach his class on Monday night. So that has been a big accomplishment for her. And then the two um, things that she brought up as what she thought was that she had gotten um, as guidelines or supports of practice is that it's a time for silence and stillness and that that was an individual practice for sure. And then it's also a time for forming and relating to communities um, for, for oneself and then, or to a specific community. And then um, to, of course, to the, the bigger Sangha, we like to say the community of all beings. So how do we balance these two, right? An individual time for silence and stillness and um, how do we relate to each other? And of course, to me, um, having started on Vipassana uh, or Insight, American Insight, um, actually, I find Zen practice much harder um, because to me, Zen practice is community practice. You know, most of our practice isn't about we're doing this ourselves only. Uh, we're doing it together. Um, I know when I was taught um, Zazen instruction, uh, in the days when we still took people down to the zendo, and, and I certainly, um, you know, shadow Blanche as as um, my my training, and and Vicky also, um, you know, we talked about how when you bow to the cushion, you know, we're bowing to okay, this is how the time in which I'm going to commit to practice, um, and then when we turn around and we bow to the room, we're bowing actually to everyone at, at this moment, one, that's practicing together and everyone in the zendo. And then we're also in both of those, um, really uh, acknowledging all the people who sat on that cushion in that spot and all the, all the beings that have sat with us and, and at the same time um, uh, in the zendo as practicing together. And so much of our practice in Zen is about interaction, right? The bowing, uh, we walk, you know, 
in a quadrant and it's not as a, when I teach meditation these days, you know, I do teach Vipassana walking meditation and then I teach also Zen. And I said, it's not about how slow do I go? Um, it's about actually keeping that space, you know, equal between the person in front of you and the person behind you. So it, it calls on us to be aware of ourself in relation to other as a community practice. It's not about how slow do I go and then, you know, everyone backs up. Um, and uh, it's about sometimes you can take big steps. You can hurry up a little just to make sure that space between uh, the person in front of you and behind you stays the same. So I think, um, you know, how do we really um, find examples to help us, right? This goes into the first part of Kalyanamitra as example. And of course the ultimate, uh, well, I would say one of the ultimate example of a Kalyanamitra is the Shuso, the head, head monk, um, you know, who shows up. Actually, when I became Shuso, um, Lanch said, your, your most important task is to show up, right? Is to show up and, and uh, take your seat and be an example. And we go and we clean the toilets, you know, or do the compost at, uh, well, people do the compost at Tassajara. So you do the dirty work, so to speak, or, and on one, another way you can think of it is the place where everyone has to go. <laughs> and I don't mean that, I didn't mean the pun. You know, everyone uses the toilet. So you're there cleaning the space that everyone is interacting with, right? And then, of course, you um, you serve tea to people. You're here to find out about others and to connect with others. And um, it is a way in which we, in a way we practice, start practicing meeting, practice discussion. But again, practice discussion is really about the interaction. You know, when, when people, um, because I do teach in the world mostly and not, not at temples, um, people aren't quite sure what a practice discussion is. And I often say, well, one, um, that the, the tangible is that I'm here to support your practice. And so you bring up questions about, you know, Dharma points or how does it relate to your life? How does practice can be part of your life? And then the intangible part is that um, it's an opportunity to know that we are, two people are, are meeting completely, you know, which the secret, of course, is that uh, the, we already are. And how do we know it is the, is the container of a practice discussion. That's my take. And I will say that, um, as I understand it, in the North American convert community, um, a teacher is seen much more as your uh, Kalyana Mitra, like your spiritual friend. Whereas in the Zen tradition, and certainly as I understand it in Japan, um, when I practice there, is that the, your teacher is your master, right? And while you can be friendly, uh, there certainly is that whole sense that this master is um, someone who, there is authority there, and it's someone who has mastered the practice and therefore um, is an example to you and helps lead your practice and supports your practice. And then as my understanding in the Vajrayana tradition, uh, the guru um, is very much another step. They are responsible for you 
for all your lifetime. That's how committed that relationship is, right? So of course, um, now that I'm a teacher, I look back at, uh, again, Dr. Marlene Joan and Margarita Linus and Riamon Gutierrez-Bauderquin, uh, certainly and Blanche, Vicky, Gill these days, um, really uh, were good examples for me of, of ways of teaching. Uh, so Kayana Mitras also um, support and encourage, right? They share the same values, um, and that can make all the difference in whether we're practicing or not, certainly. I know that uh, a while back while I was at a retreat at IRC, excuse me, at Spirit Rock, um, you know, there was a question and answer at the end, and, um, and then in that tradition, they actually suggest that people, when they go back, um, start a little Kalyana Mitra group as a way to keep on practicing. Um, and a, a man in a small town in Texas, you know, literally was crying when he's saying, it took so much time for, and effort for me to get here and I'm isolated in this small town. So it's so wonderful to hear that, you know, this is something that I can find other ways of practicing with others by literally, you know, just putting up a, in those days, we still put up little signs on 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 boards to to say, "Hey, there's a sitting group. Come come sit with us." And of course, um, in Zen, it's very important to have teachers. And so, Vicky, uh, Shosan, Vicky Austin, and Gil Fransdell, of course, are, are my support and encouragement. So, this support and encouragement can also be feedback. Um, and two ways that Gil talk about it. One is about um, mirrored by others. And um, I think that's really important that the mirroring happens uh, to see others like ourselves reflected up in the teaching seat or in key roles um, in, the, in the Sangha. And certainly um, I, I remember one of my, I think it was my first practice period back from Tassajara at City Center when Jana Draka was the Shusou. And it really, um, the one thing that really resonated with me and, and has stuck with me is she said that we ordain to live a life of transparency. Right? We ordain to live a life of transparency. And this also ties in with the precepts, right? As we practice more and more, we realize that our conduct and we set, we, we actually teach most by example. And so, and, and the precepts certainly support us to do that. Um, and so when we're incongruent with our values, it's kind of a natural thing to say, I have nothing to hide, do you know? Um, I'm transparent here, right? Which doesn't mean we don't have privacy on you. It just means that we, our conduct is in accordance with our values. Or certainly that's how I would frame it. Of course, the Sangha can provide support and encouragement. And uh, I wanna do a call out to my co-caretakers, we called ourselves when the Buddhists of Color started, which we met on Sundays at City Center. Um, Jessica Tan and Lauren Leslie and Evelyn Shin we were the original caretakers of the Buddhists of Color, one of the first um, people of color group in the Bay Area in the 90s. 
And then, um, you know, I just finished teaching uh, Lotus Rising from the Mud uh, class series uh, at Spirit Rock Online for, um, pe for people of Asian American heritage. Um, uh, and it originally originated from, uh, originally from, uh, as a response to all the Asian American hatred um, in, at the beginning, in particular, at the rise of it, uh, another rise of it um, at the beginning of the pandemic. And then, as I was saying, I um, was just co-leading a retreat with Bruni Davila, um, the LGBTQIA2 plus retreat at IRC. And, um, you know, uh, I know that when I, you know, we, we do like this opening circle there and I came in and I, um, you know, I have taught that retreat one other time with Bruni uh, just before the pandemic. And um, even since that time, actually, the, the A and the two plus got added to the name because I remember the feedback uh, last time was that, how come asexual is never <laughs> included? And so that's how, and then I, th I, I, I don't know the history behind the two plus, but um, my, my sense is that it's uh, to be more inclusive. Um, you know, and so I started out by saying, <clears throat> you know what, I might, you know, I've been out as a lesbian for gosh, almost 40 years now, but I think I might be coming out on another level because of this retreat. Um, and that is that they part. I have been really, um, as you can see, you know, today I, uh, I said I'm a she and a they, and I have thought about being a they before. And for me, um, the, the sense is not, not so much as a, a binary of gender, though I do think you know, in the 80s, we, we didn't have the, the non-binary, um, so we, we said androgynous. However, it's much more about that I've always felt like I've been gender non-conforming, and that's certainly part of the uh, inclusiveness of the, of the deep refuge group. You know, in the EBMC, this is what they call affinity groups, or deep refuge. And I think it really reflects the sense that um, because of the depth of our connection, um, it's important to have these groups in which we can really um, have a deeper and deeper sense of safety, um, of not having to explain ourselves or, or really being um, questioned. And though, though I will say ironically that even at this last retreat, there was some talk uh, among the teachers about um, when we introduce the use of uh, pronouns as an option that um, there are still, you know, people out there with even within our community that say, well, whichever, and it isn't really about um, whichever, which I'll talk a little bit more in, in a few minutes here. Um, so the feedback that we get can also be explicit. Mm -hmm. um, as Gil puts it, by developing friendship, we can create the trust and goodwill that allows for frank discussion our behavior, our practice, and our understanding. And I will also add uh, a structural sense of whether um, the practice is accessible to, to all beings or not, or how it can be more accessible to, to uh, groups that we have been unconscious about, or uh, that our unconsciousness has brought less, uh, less access to. 
uh, guilt continues. It's quite common for others to see things about ourselves that we don't see, which is back to a self thing. Having these things pointed out can be extremely helpful. You know, an uh, example I have was, is when I was back at Tassajar and I was head of the garden. And, um, you know, I was coming out of two, you know, our two practice period. And I, I was there for six practice periods, so I can't remember if it was the second year or third year, but definitely into it. Um, and, you know, when you come out of a practice period, you're very tender. And um, as head of the garden, we actually, you know, we had started starters, and then we put them in the ground. And then um, it was a lot of work because we're in the forest. <laughs> you know so all sorts of animal we eat our starters and we would have all sorts of protection so it was just like a lot of work and a lot of um uh effort for sure um and so one day you know so during soji um as the garden crew we would go and turn on the, the all the water so that there will be some watering right and a lot of it has to do with if the head of the grounds goes down to the in those days i don't know where it is now to the bathhouse area to turn on the pump right and that's how we got the water from the river to through all the the um pipes so that it would go into the in particular my my memory of, of this experience into the lower garden and um so I had gone to turn it on and there was no water. Greg Fing was the head of grounds uh, or head of uh, whatever they call him of, of the, uh, he was supposed to turn on the, the pump and he had forgotten for whatever reason. And I was so upset because I was like, oh, these plants will die. Because you know how hot it gets at Tassajara, right? Water is like precious to these plants. And I was so mad, so mad that I took it into a practice discussion <laughs> with Leslie. And, uh, you know, because and my whole thing coming out of practice is like, these plants, these little young plants, they will die, Leslie, without water. Like this is like a huge thing that Greg has done because these little baby plants will die, you know? And that was the where I was coming from. And that was like my, my reasoning why I justified to be so mad at Greg for forgetting to turn on the pump. And you know, and Leslie reflected back to me um, that am I, what am I doing in my anger about killing my friendship with Greg? Because I was, you know, luckily I had, enough practice to like have the discussion with her before I went and yelled at Greg. I think I did leave a note if I remember correctly, uh, but I restrained myself and, um, and you know, she reflected back. Like, what about your friendship with Greg? That's also part of um, what's important here, right? So that was really a, a really great reflection back about where we might have, or I have a sense of um, justifiable anger that when I opened it up and included all beings, including Greg, um, as my Kalyana Mitra, then certainly um, it's another place to see where uh, restraint works really well and to, to brighten up our sense of understanding. And so, you know, this um, support and encouragement may not seem 
what we would call positive at first. Right? And here's from Roshi Wendy uh, Ekyoku Nakao. Uh, she's the abbot emeritus of um, Zen Center of LA. And this is on spiritual friendship. She wrote, Kayanamitra is the Sanskrit word for spiritual friendship. This friendship is something much more than someone to hang out with, but rather connotes a person or even a thing that becomes our guide, a teacher, and serves to inspire us along our path to awakening. There's a common Zen expression that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Ready or not, teachers are constantly appearing in our lives, but sometimes it is difficult to recognize because we are looking for someone that meets our image or idea of, quote, teacher, end quote. Or we regard this person or thing as an obstacle in our life rather than as something that can awaken us to life's meaning. For instance, we could say that illness is Kalyanamitra. The death of a sibling can be Kalyanamitra. The birth of a child can be Kalyanamitra. Falling in love can be Kalyanamitra. In short, anything which shakes us out of our ongoing slumber and creates an opening to a vista beyond our narrow image or ex experience of self-ego is a spiritual friend worthy of our gratitude. So part of spiritual friendship is actually finding people that we can have Dharma discussions together. Um, and, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, one thing is when I went to Tassajara, I suddenly realized um, in the student dining room one lunchtime that, oh, well, like, I found my people. Because in, in the summer in particular, you know, uh, we talked about movies. Because people got to go out on their day off, you know, to go do a laundry at a laundromat and eat somewhere and then go to the movie because it was air conditioned, right? Many of us went to the movie and then you come back and tell people the latest thing about the movie. And we talked about my memory. We talked a lot about movies and a lot about Dharma points. And so it was just like a place in which um, I felt like, oh, my two favorite things get to come together. Of course, it can be a much more deeper kind of of um, interactions. And in fact, at this uh, LGBTQIA2 plus retreat, um, you know, that the great thing there at IRC is that, or my experience of it as, as really something to, to uplift, is that um, everything's volunteer to start with. And um, for the affinity uh, retreats, they ask that all this, what they call service volunteers, the, the, the manager of the retreat, the, uh, the general manager of the whole retreat, the, um, the head cook, the people who help, if they're not part of the affinity group of the retreat, that um, while they're, they're there at the, the opening circle, then actually then they move back and they don't even, um, they're asked not to even attend morning zazen which is part of the schedule for them, right? Because it then gives this really clear container for the affinity group to practice in the place of safety. And so of course it brings up for people like, hey, 
you know, how, what about me, right? And, you know, a lot of it can be in, in a sense of, um, from a place of not, 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 not um, that I'm being excluded, but, but really, you know, I'm questioning this myself, right? And especially I think these days, at least in the Bay Area and in my, and, and I would say, you know, in, in, the, in the country, in the world, LGBTQ um, rights have really blossomed you know, um, and so it brought up a lot of for people about, oh, well, I'm questioning too, right? And someone came to have a, a discussion with me. And, um, you know, on one level, I really celebrated that um, they were able to, to say, oh, is this true for me or, or not? Because, you know, I have a lot of friends that are queer. In fact, all my best friends are queer and all the best discussions I have about the Dharma with these. And I said, well, I think that's great. And I think it's great that you're questioning. And you want to really think of this or, or view this in, on two levels. One is that on a personal level, I really celebrate that you're questioning and that the environment of our culture these days is that it's really big these days for people to say, oh, you know, Maybe I'm queer too, or I'm not binary, or I've been gender non-conforming all these years, blah, 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 blah. And so I can be a they, or I can be um, in, in this retreat, right? Um, and I, you know, uh, and I really see it a lot in younger and younger kids, right? Uh, for instance, uh, some friends, uh, I know a 20-year-old uh, that my partner is kind of like her, her, her auntie. Um, and you know, there's discussion about, you know, what, what does the, do they identify as? And they said, oh, you know, we don't use queer anymore. We use bisexual, we're pansexual. That's the new term, I guess, for 20 year olds now around gender identity and, and uh, sexuality. And, um, and I think that's great that, that the, the culture has been, is really open, right? Which also, by the way, one one level it's great. On another, um, I think certainly homophobia and heterosexism is still around. That we even have to um, kind of, uh, as opposed to it being something that we don't have to question per se, but we can just explore openly, right? However, I think the other piece that I want to really point out is that on a personal level, that's great. However. There's real responsibility to claiming a um, identity of an oppressed group, because for those in the oppressed group where it isn't a choice or it doesn't present itself as a choice, right? Where your 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 whole being has been oppressed about this, right? And so it's a it's a it's a fear, it's a it's a life threat, literally life threatening, for you know the the suicide rate is super high in in the trans community, especially for trans youth, right? Where so it's a very different thing, right? And one way that we can frame that is on the individual level, and this is very supported by the capitalist, by patriarchy, by our bigger dominant culture is that I should have the freedom to, I should have the freedom to 
do whatever I want, call myself whatever I want. I think it's, you know, on one level, that's, that, that, there's, there's validity to that. However, freedom from is what Buddhist practice is about. And freedom from that includes freedom from hatred, greed, and delusion. And so from inside an oppressed group, it's the freedom from, you know, when, when I assert myself as a they from inside the community, it comes with it. To me, part of my struggle these years have been because I understand the, how important it is in the identity, right? Not just as like a self-referencing, but as from the fact that it comes with it. Am I willing to be responsible? And this is what I was talking with this person. Do you understand that? Are you willing to be part of this community and not hide, not pass if you need to, or to assert it when they come for you? Right? It's not just a matter of self-identity, right? So it's a, it's, it's a real freedom from hatred, from inside in the press group. Oh, I'm gone beyond my, my time here. So I'm gonna actually go, go past a little bit here and just, I'll just go to the ending. I have a few more things to say, but I'm just gonna go to the ending here because I really do wanna have uh, some interaction with you all. So uh, here's the end of um, Roshi Wendy uh, Igeoku Nakao um, writing. I believe Susha she, so I say, she says, Kayana Mitra, as anything which shakes us out of our ongoing slumber and creates an opening to a vista beyond our narrow image or experience of ego self. She says, the great wisdom heart sutra is truly one of the great expression of spiritual friendship. In this sutra, Shakyamuni Buddha expounds the truth of emptiness of all phenomena for his disciple Shariputra. He points Shariputra to prajna wisdom, the unsurpassable wisdom. Anything and anyone who points us to this wisdom is a spiritual friend. But the Heart Sutra does not stop at our own realization. It concludes with the great mantra, the vivid mantra, the unsurpassable mantra of gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, Bodhisvaha. It means gone, gone, gone beyond. Together, go beyond. This together speaks directly to our most basic vow to save all beings. A realization only true, truly comes alive when it is used in the service of others and helping others awaken to life's essential nature, to recognize and appreciate the spiritual friends in our life you yourself serving others in this way and others and things continually befriending you, pointing to the unsurpassable wisdom that is our life. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.